Hello, welcome to Role Playing Exchange. This is Adam, and today me and my illustrious co-hosts are going to be talking about this hot brand new game that's just on the scene. Aaron, what is this game we're going to be talking about? It's called, ah shit, I was trying to think of a clever synonym for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, (laughs) I've ruined it anyway. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) And as you know, Aaron's here, but also I'm joined by... Hello, this is Ethan. And hello, this is Nick. Sorry, I'm used to people giving a name after their introduction (laughs) for playing in a game. (laughs) Ethan, what role were you playing today, sir? Uh, Guest commentary, color commentary. (laughs) Hey, me too. Ethan's here to be a son of a bitch. Just like always. As is tradition. Now, we ask you all to jump in here on this with me, because you all have much more D&D experience than I do. And... With me saying I, I played like three games back in 1999, and then I started playing again last August. So there's pretty much my gap right there. I can tell you that if a vampire assumes gaseous form, if you throw a, a whirlwind or a windstorm or whatever that friggin' spell was I cast in second edition, it, a, it messes up his day a little bit. But that's about the, the long and short of my knowledge here. So I've got some more knowledgeable people in. So how do we begin this? Well, Adam, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Oh, I haven't, I haven't played much D and D either. <laughs> I played a little bit of three, three point five, and then I didn't again until until this year. I, I'm I'm gonna be honest. Also, I've only played two games of D and D ever in my life, <laughs> but I've run I've run a crap ton. I've run two campaigns worth. <laughs> Okay. Ethan, I was wondering how that weight was. It was feeling as it was being thrust <laughs> upon your back. There. Yeah, I I have, like Nick, run quite a bit. I ran uh, the starter set for 5e, and then I ran Curse of Strahd uh, pretty much back-to-back, so about two and a half years. Uh, and I've played in a Pathfinder 2 campaign for about going on a year and a half now, um, and I'm playing while my uh, people from my current group are running, so I've kind of Kind of gotten a pretty good angle on both sides of the table, though I definitely have run more than I've played. Sweet. I'm kind of curious, though, because uh, Aaron is like pretty much your first substantial experience with D&D in a while, and you uh, kind of started jumping into the DM seat. Yeah. The player seat. And uh, a lot of people are kind of intimidated by the DM seat for some reason. So, Oh, I was real intimidated by it. <laughs> You did it anyway. So what are your thoughts on your, uh, so far, your experience on, on running D&D? Curious. Well, it's it's easier to do D&D than it is, like, Unknown Armies. Because with Unknown Armies, I can, or with D&D, I can kind of, I at least have a plan, sort of. I, I kind of know what's going to happen, whereas with Unknown Armies, it's just, oh, this is what the players are doing? Okay, let me, uh, let me make up some bullshit to, to run concurrently to that. And... <laughs> There's, I don't know, there's a lot of resources. Like, you have a play, there's the monster manual, there's the dungeon master's guide. Whereas, again, Unknown Armies is just like, uh, good luck. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's There's a lot of numbers to keep track of, and it's kind of hard to, like, balance everyone's time, I guess. But, yeah, it's not too bad. All right, so before we get the cart too far ahead of the horse, let's go ahead and kind of go over the basics of Dungeons & Dragons. So I do want to return to that. So Dungeons & Dragons, I guess my little elevator pitch for it, if my understanding is like, hey, you know all this stuff with Token? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I think it was a big influence on D&D and also the early war games. 
Gary Gygax as a creator, um, I think the original dice, dice were in wax and you had to write numbers on them. Am I, am I, am I remembering that or am I making up facts? I don't remember, but I've seen some dice like that. It's a uh, D20 system. And yeah, the, that's basically my description of D&D. So y'all want to play? Sure. sure. I'm in. That said, I prefer percentiles to D20 systems, but you know, whatevs. We'll still have fun. Basically, yeah. I mean, the the dice is the first thing it kicks off, but I think D and D from like trust me, I've watched D and D clubs pop up in schools. I've seen. I'm even trying to get like my own little school club I've sponsored. I've been trying to get them to actually work on a project this year of uh, maybe doing online gaming and stuff like that. Since we're all kind of you know socially distanced with the pandemic is uh, a benefit i haven't quite got that off the ground but it's pretty popular and we're getting a lot of shows like critical role and adventure time with uh, the macroid brothers and i mean i think matthew lillard is is playing in a game with the girl from uh true blood and daredevil and yes oh. yeah she's they're on i think they're on critical roles network or whatever i'm not 100 percent sure but i have seen something about that yeah it's, also, I hope that Matthew Lillard is playing as his character from Scream. It's uh, my hope. <laughs> <laughs> he gets down to like two half po- health points and starts feeling a little woozy, man. <laughs> I'm, you cut me too deep, man. I think I'm dying. Ah, <laughs> uh, shoot. Now, kind of jumping in with it, though, it's pretty popular. And whenever somebody talks to, I try to talk to someone about playing role playing games, they automatically ask me if I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Is that pretty much. The world as you all see it as well. Yeah, that's pretty much the first thought when you mention <laughs> it to someone. Just RPGs in general, for me. Yeah, you know. for sure. Is it is it pretty much the fact that it's so popular, or is it it's just the the ideal role playing game since it was one of the first and the most popular? You know, a lot comes down to the first mover concept. Like, you know, like it it was kind of the first thing of its kind when it came out. So at this point. You know, it's it's been around for so long. Yeah, I mean there there are old role playing games out there, uh, but they're they're even less well known now than a lot of much more modern stuff. So it being so ubiquitous, kind of kind of makes it the default. But I also think, in a way, it's you know being an entry point when Critical Role and uh, Acquisitions Incorporated and all these properties start coming up and buoying. Dungeons and Dragons, I think it kind of elevates the hobby as a whole, since that's so many oh, people yeah. gateway. Yeah. I also think you can you can blame a lot of things on the Big Bang Theory, but uh, I think that's also how a lot of people not everyone, obviously, but I think there are a lot of episodes where it did involve people playing D&D, so people are like, oh yeah, that's right, that's a thing that exists. But And the rise of ner- nerd culture in general, I guess you could say, and a lot of that is seen in cringe the uh, big bang theory yeah i mean nerd culture in general i come not to praise but to bury but anyway uh <laughs> it's a little shakespeare for you adam I, I took a whole class on it man i don't remember that but that's uh it's hamlet oh wait no i think that's julius caesar anyway the point is yeah. oh yeah that's that's mark anthony and yeah I was, i'm sorry guys this is our shakespeare episode i just kind of just pranked you all into it now like <laughs> <laughs> you could say you hamleted them. So, as we were saying before, and D&D is kind of the reference point, and it's a lot of people's entry points. I know it was me, like, for me, my English acquisition just slipped there a little bit, guys. But, yeah, D&D was the first thing, 
one of the first games I played, actually the first game I played was a Batman role-playing game on a school bus. But, you know, D and D was uh, like definitely something I always shot for. And unfortunately, when I was going to high, uh, going to school back in the nineties, uh, you know, this stuff wasn't very well founded or you couldn't find places to play. At least I couldn't in high school. It wasn't popular. And the, the ones that I did end up playing with were people that I knew that were like college students and stuff like that. So I kind of got into those games like there. And, you know, it for me, I thought it was easy to pick up because I'd seen, and maybe this is for everybody who's into fantasy and science fiction and stuff like that. It was easy for me to see what to do because I'd watched at that point in time, like Conan the Barbarian and Red Sonja and the Hobbit cartoons. I don't know, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers. They had those little animated versions of it. The terrifying Ralph Bakshi ones. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, is that the one with the live action that's drawn over top of? Yeah, the scary ass orcs. Yeah, it was uh, it was a unique thing. So I, I had that reference point there, and I also played video games. Like I don't know if y'all ever heard of uh, Arena, which like, was is, well, Arena was you know how they got the Elder Scrolls games like Morrowind and Skyrim. Oh and yeah, that. yeah, that was the second one, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe it's either the second or the first. I think after it was Daggerfall, so it probably was the second. But so yeah, whenever it came to playing D anD D, I at least have something to base my character on, which I don't know if, if I'd started out with Call of Cthulhu, if I'd had that uh, luxury. Hmm. I don't know. I The first th- thing I remember playing is 3.5, and I was like, oh, this is cool, whatever. I mean, I've never done this before, but it seems cool enough. And it was just me and a friend of mine who had his brother's books who didn't, neither of us really knew what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. And then a few years later, I bought the World of Darkness rule book, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> about hunter nick how about yourself how what was your entry point into D and like what what stuck with you about this was this perhaps was D one of your first games you jumped in or did you try no not else? even close my first d um, my first rpg game surprisingly of it all was a game of paranoia that a bunch of people on my college dorm floor were playing and they needed another person so i jumped in and it was just one session and it didn't go anywhere um, and it was actually a couple of uh, like three years after that when I discovered Call of Cthulhu and I actually wanted to run that. Um, and then from Call of Cthulhu, Delta Green. Um, but I hadn't done Dungeons and Dragons until I guess three years ago at this point. Um, I moved back into I, I moved back to the area where I went to college and I had friends in the area and they were doing a D&D campaign. So I sat in on it and then. The next game was the finale, and they let me just join for the finale because I needed a person. And I hope this person, this person will probably never listen to this, but they did it so terribly that I actually went out and like got books and learned how to play <laughs> it and run it properly. So that was my first game. The second game I've ever played is the game that will come out where Aaron... But yeah, so after that, I was just running D&D games because I was like, I, I got to see how it's run properly and run it properly. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for the people who were still in the area who wanted to play. <laughs> But it was just like, there's got to be a better way. Like, this can't be my one experience with Dungeons and Dragons. It had to be better. (laughs) So, Ethan, tell us about your first time. So, I actually, actually started by running. Uh, I didn't, I didn't play in a game for a little while. Um, So, my my first exposure really to Dungeons and Dragons was Acquisitions Incorporated, Uh, and I ended up kind of 
like I didn't really have anywhere near me at the time get into a game. So I ended up consuming a lot of uh, podcasts and the Critical Role, uh, Acquisitions Incorporated, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so eventually I got to where a couple of people at work after I moved here uh, had expressed some interest. I was like, I've always kind of wanted to run. I'll go ahead and jump on that. And so uh, someone else already had the starter set. I started prepping to run it. And so I just kind of dove right in on that. And I started running the starter set box, the Mind of Fandelver Adventure. And a couple of years later, here I am. Awesome. See, and you've got several campaigns or at least games under your belt with Dungeons and Dragons. I ran the Fandelver one. I ran uh, Curse of Strahd and a couple of one shots here and there. And since then, I've gotten to play a little bit more. Uh, as a player, I've played more Pathfinder 2, uh, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which is I still kind of consider Pathfinder under the umbrella of D&D. Yeah. And so well, effectively, can, it's, you know. Yeah. It was but, pretty much de- uh, derived from when D&D made their stuff. Uh, was it? What am I calling? Where it was, I think. It's, D&D, the, it's the good version of 3.5. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Like, it, it sort of came about almost coincidentally around when fourth edition came out and there's like, I'm sure there's some alternate dimension where they like actually nailed fourth edition and Pathfinder never became a thing, but we live in this timeline and they didn't, uh, they made a game <laughs> that people didn't like, even though there's a lot to like about that edition of the game. And there are things that did really well. And, it, but for like certain name changes, it probably would have been better received if, they had not codified certain things that have always been in the game, like the grid yeah, and stuff. But ultimately, ultimately it was not received well, so Pathfinder comes out with what is essentially the next iteration of 3.5, and it's it's interesting going back and like almost working your way backwards, starting with 5th edition, uh, and then playing Pathfinder 2nd, and then playing Pathfinder 1, and coming across all these things like Oh, what's a basic attack bonus? What's a uh, you know combat maneuver bonus? Like that seems really crunchy. That's the kind of a level of complexity I don't like. And then turns out, oh no, that's the simplified version. In three point five. If you wanted to grapple someone, sweet Jesus, <laughs> don't make any plans. You, no, it's it's that's the rest of the session. Is we're gonna figure out how grappling rules, as they are so goddamn obtuse. And it is ridiculous. Even now in 5e, grappling can take like half a session just to figure out like what the hell it is. Because people don't usually bother with grappling. Well, yeah, because they, yeah. they all played 3.5 and were like, nope, not doing that again. <laughs> right. And it and every edition since then that I'm familiar with has has dumbed the grappling rules down essentially to the point of being uh, useless. Athletic check <laughs> or something. But, right, yeah, it's like you roll two dice and what does it do? And they can't move around, whatever. So it's kind of interesting going back and seeing like, no, it just comes down to this one stat bonus. It's one modifier to your role. And if you beat that target number, bam, he's grappled. It doesn't matter if the moon is in its ninth phase and Mercury's in retrograde. You don't have to consult that chart reference to more. It doesn't fucking matter. It's kind of interesting. They say there's still some people. Sorry, Ethan, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, they say there's still some people playing a 3.5 campaign that's that are stuck in grappling rules to this very day. <laughs> still re- still resolving that one grapple. <laughs> Let's get the band back together. We could do it. <laughs> now, I do want 
I do want to kind of, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit, but I do want you all to kind of go ahead and give some advice because, uh, you know, we got, we've got some games that have been coming up on RPX like this month. Of course, both episodes would have dropped by the time I get this thing edited and uploaded, but I uploaded, I have uploaded currently in the month of October since it's spooky. So I decided to upload D&D because little things like that entertain me for some reason. I mean, you, you would think like, ooh, it's put like ghosts and shit. No, I'm, we're just dealing with D&D. Like I have uh, been playing in since August. I've been playing in a Curse of Strahd campaign. Now, I this is the first time I've ever actually used a physical layout for a game ever. Like, I mean, occasionally I'll play a game and someone will say, like, okay, this is, the, this is what the room looks like. It's this shape. Or they'll have inserted a page from the book there. It's like, okay, this is what, this is the layout of the house. Like I've used visual aids before, but for this one, you know, movement became a big issue and, you know, it strategy was very forefront there. And it was something I was not used to because when I played Dungeons and Dragons back in the nineties, it was all theater of mind, pretty much like, you know, everything else. And it took a little bit to get used to a D20, I mean, I understand that 20 times 5 is 100, and I realize that if Nick's character has an armor class of 14, then essentially I'm trying to row what would be the equivalent of 70-plus or above 70 to actually do damage. Like, I can kind of get that stuff, but in the beginning, D&D, for me, coming from other systems after such a long period of time, it just, it took a lot of getting used to. Like you got multiple actions, which I encountered those in red markets, but then, you know, you move a little bit and all of a sudden you got an attack of uh, opportunity. And, you know, the crunchy aspect was something that, at least I felt like it was crunchy. Like it kind of uh, took a while to get used to. I mean, at this point, playing the game for over a year, I at least know what, (laughs) I know how to play the rogue and I'm, I'm cheating big time too because I, I I got a lot better as soon as we went online and it was like okay now you got to use D and D Beyond and row twenty and so I just had my character shoot up and row twenty and I can just you know click the short sword and it'll go ahead and row the attack and then row the damage and it you know that kind of streamlined everything for me but yeah it, it's it took a while getting used to the crunch after so many systems that I played in that was two dice and you may have to break out a d4 or d6 to worry about sand so what you're saying is you're bad at math yeah essentially that's why i'm a english major that's what that's that's what i got from that <laughs> but. i can get it and i'm getting better and i i appreciate D more and i'll tell you something else i appreciate D is having somehow they found out the kids found out that i play role-playing games and D&D. I don't I keep the podcast thing on the DL because, I mean, you've seen some of the shit that comes out of my mouth. It's not like I need to uh, have to talk about my personal life in any uh, shape, form, or fashion. But I've had multiple kids that joined our, D- our school's D&D club bring in character sheets for me to look at or tell me about the, the game that they played after school. And that if it, if this is a good entry point for kids to get into the hobby, then, you know, it's I think it's a fun game myself. But I think it's really beneficial for that aspect. Weirdly, they bring in character sheets. Adam calls them a nerd and then rips it up. It's very strange. <laughs> they're, do- they're doing everything on D&D Beyond. Like, I had one hand me the phone two days ago. I was like, does this look right? It's- Why don't I have any spells? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. They were playing a cleric and they didn't have any spells in it. It was first level. I was like, maybe you did something wrong. I don't know. I, I play a thief. 
No, a first level cleric with no spells sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to do everything by hand still. I, it's it's crunchy, but that way I know my character in and out, and I just can get it off the top of my head because I took the time to make it instead of just punch numbers into D and D Beyond. <laughs> oh, it's time consuming, a lot more time consuming than other games, which is why I personally like other games because it's a lot easier to keep track of things. But yeah. it's still lots of fun to play. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just don't want to take like three hours to make a character oh, that may just that may just be me though because i'm bad at math too well it'll never it'll never be uh base raiders character creation will it Ethan? right i was gonna say like compared to base raiders or um uh, unknown armies particularly because unknown armies is like bundled together with other players character creation and stuff that's true it can be a lot a lot worse i think but back to D&D, I say like it's a more, more complicated than other systems to me to make a character, but it's still not that bad. Like if you make enough characters, you basically get in a rhythm of how to make it. Like you know where to start, what to look at, what books to look for, what you want to draw from. And plus, if you have an idea of what your character wants to be, it's just going to the various books and bringing everything together on the sheet. That's and I fair. think making a character in a new system is actually a really good way to learn that system. It kind of, you know, because you're probably, especially if it's a system you are going to be teaching to other players, like you're probably going to have to teach them like how their character sheet works and so on. And so like, I've got, uh, I know I say that I've probably been saying this for like a year and a half now. Zweihander. I've got, I made some pregens for a couple games I want to run. And it really kind of helped me get a handle on like, if I have to teach someone else how to do character gen, or if, you know, and I, if I start running these at this point, I should probably say if, not when. But if I start running some Zweihander, I have a better handle on how the mechanics of the game work because I took the time to actually make a couple characters. Yeah. Plus, especially if you make a magic caster, just mm-hmm. going over what spells you would want, you learn this, you, you obviously recognize the spells which are the better spells. And thus, when a, in a game, when you're, when you're running it, or you're going up against someone who's casting spells or whatever, you can easily identify the spells instead of sitting there and having to like look it up or ask someone to explain it. Yeah, awesome. yeah that makes sense. So I think part of the reason I gathered you all here is to help us out. So, I mean, I, I have looked at D&D, to running d and I've kind of uh, got a couple other projects on my plate at the moment, but I even went out to the DMs uh, guild on a, a drive-through RPG, and I picked up a game because it looked interesting and all. So I, I do intend on running it, and I think that's really where I'd like to take this conversation. Is you know I know Aaron's getting ready to run, or we're in the process of cre- uh, doing character creation for uh, Rhyme of the Ice Maiden, the Ice, new Icewind Dale uh, book. So. Yeah, if you all can give some advice here on running D&D and some insights that you've gained from running it, that would be pretty bit, pretty beneficial. I think you've already been touching on it at this exact moment when you were talking about if you want to learn the system, you got to roll up uh, characters to get a pretty good understanding. I know I did something similar when I was trying to figure out how to play 13th Age, which is, I guess, kind of a derivative of those as well. But, Are you uh, talking about like running a pre-made adventure, your own adventure, or just in general? In in general, you can touch on both of those. So if I were, you know, gonna run Mines of Fandelver, 
like what kind of stuff do I need to do or how would I prep? Like you, you've got monsters, you've got the whole uh, loot mechanics that you're kind of building into it. That's the reason we're doing this is to get that sweet, sweet loot kind of deal. Just like any insights that you all might have into running a game and so forth. Okay. I'm going to let the others go first then because I've only done homebrew stuff and I have a, I feel like I have a different ideology to approaching D&D. So I'll let the other people go first. So I've mostly run from pre-written stuff. And I think as far as as far as running pre-written stuff goes, depending on the type of adventure you're doing, and just in general, it can be really beneficial to read the whole thing start to finish, first of all. For linear adventures, sometimes you can get away with not necessarily reading all the way through, but having that base knowledge of what's going on in your game can help a whole lot. And honestly, a big thing for me running pre-written adventures, don't be afraid to change something if you like an idea better. Because if you're excited about a certain event, NPC, even magic item in the game, if you're excited for the players to find it, there's probably going to be something more there or substance there. Like rework a fight. If you think that fight's boring, make it different. I did the same thing in, in Fandelver. I took... Uh, just a generic room full of bad guys. And I threw two skeleton minotaurs in it. And it was a very memorable fight, uh, particularly because I uh, I hit a player with a crit and downed him in one shot. <laughs> uh, and that it, it still comes up, you know, like, hey, remember that time you jumped off the, the platform from safety to certain defeat, got impaled by a minotaur. Like, uh, yeah, that was, that was dumb. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate to that. That old song and dance. <laughs> I've had a character dimension door halfway across, not halfway, most of the way across the map into the middle of enemies, like the nearly the full distance, and suffered while the rest of his teammate had to uh, run to where he was. <laughs> nice. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, Classic. Sorry, guys. So, <laughs> Lord. Yeah, it, I, I agree with everything Ethan said. Make sure if you don't know every little detail, the overarching plot, so you know where it's going. Um, don't be afraid to change things up. Like underlying um, character motivations can also be. Yeah. You know, if, if if you have to improvise something, having that background knowledge of what's going on makes it feel way less like you're just flying by the seat of your pants and like you are referencing something yeah. concrete that the players don't know about because that's basically what you're doing. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the characters never 100% do what they're supposed to do in your mind. So it's good mm-hmm. to know how to redirect them towards where they're supposed to go, sort of. Or if yeah. you want to make a change, you don't change it too much to where they're just completely going in a different direction than where the campaign's going. Got a quick question for you guys in general, too, since it's kind of a concern of mine. On our D&D episode, I'm going to talk about 13th Age. So that's how I work. But I think the thing... And I've touched on this a moment ago too, but I think the thing that has always intimidated me with you know me with all this stuff is just the distance and working and stuff like that and getting people. Of course, a lot of the attacks or things that you can do, it's definitely you know if you're engaging someone and you step away, then they get an attack of opportunity and things like that. How do you how do you handle the actual physical aspect of it? Is it uh, I don't. you don't. I, well, I can actually remember Ethan when he ran, and you know this one's already posted as well. The one on one. Well, it wasn't actually one on one, but uh, the the one v one. I was trying to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> IRL. <laughs> but like, mm, I think. Look, I've said too much. <laughs> 
I want to believe that maybe actually was your first game you ever played of D&D without uh, a map, or I got that impression because you were wondering how it would would go. You know how how do you how do you manage the map, and especially for you, Ethan, if like say we're doing like what Aaron's going to do, and we're really in the theater of the mind, like how how do you adjust to that uh, tactile element not being in play? So I think I think when you're running for you know theater of the mind, for lack of a better phrase, I think it's important to keep a couple things in mind, namely uh, don't don't run a whole lot of enemies. Uh, if, if or, you try and keep, you know, somewhat detailed track of where a large number of enemies are, you're going to fucking lose your mind. Yeah, the only way to have a lot of enemies in my mind, which I did kind of for my game, was I had them all grouped up and they were all basically next to each other the entire time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly like, I mean, if you if you want to try and have some distance, and I think it's a good way to think about distance, uh, I tend to try and a little bit from Zweihander where they have, you know, you are far near engaged kind of thing where like you can think about movement in feet, but it's probably more useful to think about movement in terms of like, yeah, you can get to him, but you're probably going to have to double move and then you wouldn't be able to attack that turn or you could you could try and make a ranged attack or an improvised attack, you know, give give a player some kind of a choice feels meaningful kind of abstract the distance like is he one move away or is he two makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. i know it probably sounded like me being a smart ass when i said i don't but like i literally i just don't don't worry about it because there's just so much going on in a combat scenario at one time that you know i'm afraid that if I focus too hard on that. I'm going to forget other things that are going on. So I just kind of, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'll figure it out as I go. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad approach either uh, for that that kind of game. For ultimately, uh, like if you don't have a mat in front of you, you you automatically are throwing the like truly tactical side of the game out. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, I was gonna say I just I don't care about the tactical like combat cool i like combat i just don't care about like all right well you've got six hexes till you're you know what i mean like i just yeah i don't want to get so bogged down in that that i that like i don't know and if that like if that's people's jam that's that's totally cool i get it but you don't want to be too worried about like hexes in an online game where no one if no one can see the board that you forget like you know, oh, what's this monster's armor class again, or something like that? That's more substantial. Yeah, and it's just I don't want to be realistic at the expense of things being cool. Like, okay. which probably sounds dumb, but like, I would rather something be like be really cool and perhaps even memorable than like not realistic. But I think you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Strict adherence to the rules, or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I think that's a big design philosophy in edition is that if there's something that you know if there's something you know that you want to change or make a ruling on you can just make that call and move on and you're not so bogged down by minutiae yeah nick you were going to say something a moment ago uh i was just going to say another thing for theater of the mind uh if you don't share a map it's also very good to just doodle a basic map in front of you so you could have a quick reference to go back to because if you're thinking of monster stats, attack rolls, and everything, 
it's good to just have something that you could go back to quickly. So yeah. at least your mind has it fresh in it. And yeah. um, also just, I said like my approach to D and D is a little different. I am big on horror RPGs and I really bring that into D and D where I've been told I'm a brutal DM with D and D cause I don't consider it a good fight unless I drop one person down to zero hit points. <laughs> <laughs> so my typical session is I allow for a lot of uh, like role playing and stuff, and then I usually just have one big tough fight during the session, if any, because like Aaron says, like the fighting bogs it down a lot, especially when you have a lot of people on the map. It could slow things yeah. down considerably, and I don't like that. Yeah, it's you know I've or Ethan and Adam, you guys have played a lot of games that I've run. Well, I say a lot. You've played in most of the games that I've run. Yeah. And it all tends to be more conceptual, I think, and conceptual and abstract than, okay, you're here, this is here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not worried about where everybody is as long as you're in the same area. Tell you something that I would, I've been aiming on trying. And like I said, I kind of borrow from 13th Age because I also, I absolutely love 13th Age's idea of an escalation die. But on a tactic, uh, the tactile like map and grid thing like as i played this past year uh it for me it bogged down uh bogged down gameplay it became uh, and everyone enjoyed it except i I mean i enjoyed the game but like that aspect of it kind of just (laughs) everyone had a good time except me (laughs) everyone had a good time with that except me until i got kind of up and going with it but i think if i whenever i actually get to run and i've looked about this beforehand i've actually got maps so, like, on the scenario that I picked up, like, the Dra- Pirate King or something like that, I can't remember, I'd have to look it up, but the, it, the whole game starts, well, not the whole game, but the introduction starts out, you're on a ship fleeing after an invasion, and then you get boarded. So, I've got the map of the ship, and I would I would not be against putting the tokens on there and letting people move them around, but I don't, I, I don't mind having that visual reference, but it just seems like, you know, I'm hoping that that would be a happy median, I guess, between actually people going, well, I can move 35 feet, one, two, five, you know, kind of thing like that. And maybe make it more listenable since we really work with an audio medium anyway. And one of my big concerns about running a and d game is it like, hey, would you like to hear us talk about a grid that you can't see? Kind yeah. Of feel- yeah, that's but- why, why when I did that first session of Dragon Laska, I was just like, you're just in the woods. Like, it doesn't matter what everybody's position is you're all close you're all fairly close to the monster and it helped that it was a big monster that i used which m- makes it easier to like like because it's so big you have you have you can worry less about where everybody is in relation to the monster which yeah there you go free tip use big monsters <laughs> <laughs> you know kind of jumping back to what ethan was talking about a moment ago too with uh, running pre-made scenarios I, I, I can't really think of any other particular questions? I mean, there's a lot of things that a game master is keeping up with. I know that, you know, rowing initiative and keeping up with initiative is one of the big things that you have to do when running a game. Is there anything else that I'm kind of missing other than the actual combat and role playing that falls on the GM's duties? A big one that I've had to learn is that monsters that you think wouldn't be a huge problem for a party, they're going. To, it's going to be a lot tougher than you think. <laughs> For example, one Yeti for a party of, I think it was four level threes, trivial. Two Yetis, deadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, you know, like, 
uh, action economy and and stuff like that is a big thing when trying to balance encounters because you know one monster gets surrounded and has the hell beat out of him. Two monsters yeah, you... maybe down one guy and then the fight starts snowballing. You know, yeah, yeah and... like you guys beat the shit out of that shambling mound just yeah. in minutes, and I was so disappointed. <laughs> Yeah. In in the DM's guide, I think, or I, I don't know, I haven't looked at it in forever because I pulled all the details into an Excel sheet, but they actually have a way for for calculating balanced encounters and such. Um, mm. and, a, and a trick that I, or a tip I found is that magic items, especially magic items that involve combat, greatly increase the power level of the players. So what it uh, the way the DM's book has it is it gives the level of the play- character, then it lists it uh, as the y-axis and the difficulty that you want on the x-axis and then it gives a experience amount and you're supposed to multiply that by four whatever amount of players there are what i do is i do it as if they're a level higher if they have a decent amount of magical combat items to just make it a little bit more balanced Mm. nick i appreciate you thinking that i can use excel i just (laughs) (laughs) i want you to know that i appreciate that you think enough of me that like oh aaron knows how to use excel because I don't. But anyway, for, that's... For any listeners out there who can use Excel or want to use Excel. All right. So are you, am I the first one to know that my, that Aaron's not Microsoft Office certified? Is this news to everyone else as well? Uh, I can use Word. I've used Word so much. It's a sweet, Aaron. And it's not S-W-E-E-T. I know. <laughs> I just... I bounced off when they... When I took computer class in high school because i had to i tried to learn they you know they were teaching us excel and my spreadsheets were always terrible oh god <laughs> we're not talking about my failings we're talking about okay. D. you were talking about the the encounters uh i almost did it you were talking about the encounters nick and i know that on D beyond's website which i keep talking about them over and over again because that really impressed the shit out of me when i first started using it after all these years but I think there's an, an encounter, uh, like a, an actual program they had that you can kind of build encounters and scale it up and yeah. so forth. Uh, yeah, that was it, man, with D&D Beyond. Like, I, you know, it's, I thought it was crunchy when I looked at it beforehand. But the fact that I was playing with somebody who had already purchased the GM's Guide and the Player's Guide and the Curse of Strahd book, I just loved how that how everything I want it's right there. So, oh, I want to be something that's in the player's handbook. Well, it's since I'm already in this campaign, all that stuff is over. Like, I just recently gained the Sun Sword in Strahd. And I, all I had to do is just add inventory, type in Sun Sword, and add it right over to my uh, stats. So, I actually think it's kind of ironic that I have a Sun Sword since I also am playing a Drow. And, like, so when I pull my sword out, I guess I have to make, I take mm. negatives on perception. <laughs> But make attack rolls with disadvantage. <laughs> I'm not telling my GM that. I'm hoping he hasn't really thought about that. <laughs> so, so that goes that that leads into another thing I wanted to say about a thing you might need to do as GM. Def, I don't. It's pro. It might be unique to my group, but my group doesn't know half the abilities that their characters have. Like they either read the first half of the paragraph and don't mm-hmm. read the second half, which is basically mm-hmm. the limitations. On the ability, or they just don't get it at all. I, I, it's good to know your your players like racial and class abilities, so yeah. you keep the game as accurate as possible. Not that they're intentionally trying to cheat, but just so oh, there's I some am. consistency and people know what they're doing. Oh, <laughs> uh, another thing. This is 
unrelated to that, but since Adam mentioned Curse of Stroud, and it's a thing that you could have happen with other D&D stuff, there's the potential for accidental racism in Dungeons & Dragons, particularly, especially with a group in the uh, in Curse of Stroud, the Vistani. Yeah. <laughs> Just be real careful with yeah. with those groups, or with that group. Go ahead. And I, was gonna say, I love the fact that D&D has been going through and making things, updating their language in Curse of Strahd. I know that there was a couple of instances that they've edited out of that book and replaced certain things. And that's kind of going in other directions, too. Aren't they really? Haven't we moved away from orcs and goblins aren't necessarily evil races? Is that yeah. one of the big? They, they said that they weren't necessarily evil and they removed the negative modifiers for orcs and kobolds. Yeah, they're like, oh, I guess we shouldn't refer to them as evil mud people anymore. I believe they've also removed the actual like alignment indicators on like intelligent race stat blocks, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall correctly. So instead of just being like, this is a drought, they're all lawful evil or chaotic evil. It just, I think it may just say unaligned or it may not say anything at all, uh, which has always been, at least for the last couple of years, particularly in fifth edition, has always kind of been like, yeah, alignment thing, whatever. It's never particularly been that important. The only time I reference it when I'm looking at stat blocks is if I look at a creature and I'm like, is that supposed to be something that would be an ally or an enemy? Because sometimes, you know, they're, they're gold dragons in the monster manual. They're probably not going to fight a gold dragon. But if I look at something and I'm like, that's ambiguous. Is that, that going to be an enemy? Awful good. Oh, yeah, okay. That's probably not going to be an enemy. Yeah. Just, you know, be careful is all I'm saying, because it's real. It, I, I feel like it can be real easy to just try, like, you're just trying to use fantasy tropes, and then the next thing you know, you've genocided the orc, the orc race. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, I guess we've seen all that in well, some of these bad guys are kind of stand-ins for something else. I know, like, if you look at the old H.P. Lovecraft writings and stuff like that, they're horribly, horribly, horribly racist. <laughs> oh, what? You mean the, the Cho-Cho are bad? Mm. Oh, that, and then, you know, the, sh- the Shadow over Insmith was a whole, like, Yeah, it's about miscegenation. Yeah, and uh, so it's it's kind of good. And then I it's, when, he's, when y'all, we started talking about this, did anyone else kind of cut over in their mind to Bright? Or is that just me? I think that was just you. <laughs> oh, listen here, I can use Excel, motherfucker. Okay, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying I don't think anyone else has thought. I don't think anyone's thought about Bright for Jesus three years now, maybe Nick, four. Nick, help. What? Sorry, <laughs> I was too busy judging you, Adam. Okay, I get it. Hey, no, uh, no, no, no. I don't. I'm not judging you. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I, I muted myself for a second. No, it's all good. Hey, how about uh, this? You were. We mentioned running pre-made campaigns and all that, and we kind of—I know—we danced around you talking about you like to do horror. What's the experiences that you've had, kind of, with your own uh, stuff that you've written? Because I, I played in one of them, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Um, my first one was a mind flayer campaign where the people were in a city and mind flayers were trying to subvert it. Um, so there's a lot of uh, mind control, uh, I guess, a little body horror with my flares. Um, and then the second one wasn't necessarily uh, spooky or anything, but it was a, there was four evil characters who escaped a prison and were working together to hunt down a ring of three wishes that a prisoner that they were in a cell block with 
told him about before he died. Except the thing was, there's four of them, and it's a ring of three wishes. <laughs> so that was the whole point of the campaign. Had them having to work together, crossing the wilderness to this location, uh, while not keeping each while keeping each other alive to get there, but not being w- the one guy who's killed, or you know, the <laughs> one of many people who were killed. Uh, another good point to make, since you mentioned mind flayers, I feel like I'm being a downer at the moment, but like. Mind control is another thing that you've got to be careful with in a game. Because I'm not saying, like, absolutely not saying you would do this, Nick, but I feel like if you're playing with the wrong DM, it mind controlled characters and stuff can get real creepy real quickly. Yeah. Player agency in general is like, there are good ways and bad ways to do, like, you know, a character being charmed or possessed. Um, and that actually comes up in Curse of Strahd because Strahd has an ability where he can. Um, he can actually charm you and make you consider him an ally. And I had a player in my campaign who, uh, you know, I just kind of let him roll roll with that, you know, because I think a good role player is going to really relish that opportunity. And he did. He ran with it and played it actually so subtly that other players at the table had forgotten, not like in character, but other players at the table had forgotten that he was charmed at one point. Yeah. Uh, And it was really, really great. Yeah, I think mind control and charm and stuff can definitely be good additions to a game. You just gotta, like, talk to the player beforehand and also make sure you're not going to have their character do something that is going to make anyone uncomfortable. It's, no. it, I, I never, yeah, I, I never had that kind of thing. I, I made it sure people knew it was just to have them, like, go oh, yeah, to absolutely. Lo- like, walk to the prison cell that the Mind Flayer wanted them to step into, and then they'd be no, like, yeah, oh, abs- that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I just think there are there are DMs. Again, I don't think this is any of you guys, but who would go, oh, I can make a character character charmed. I'm going to do something awful now. Yeah. Also, but it's interesting it, when they they fail the check because most of the mind control checks, or at least the lower level ones, the, the spells have it that the people realize you're trying to fuck with them, <laughs> which could lead to pretty interesting situations. I think that happened in the game you ran. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. did that. I'm my bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Uh, I have. Go ahead. I was gonna say I have a question. What's like some content you would like to see come from Wizards for for D and D? For example, give me a new Ravenloft book, you cowards. Or Ravenloft would be awesome, like a expanded Ravenloft, like yeah, like it used to be its own setting. Yeah, absolutely. Like where it's off the rest of the realms of dread. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bring that shit on. Dark Sun. I, I feel like they're yeah. gearing more towards Spelljammer. They've got a lot of Spelljammer references in the more recent books. Yeah, I've seen that. That's a like a big popular one that people want. And I've heard. Yeah. A friend of mine was telling me, "Oh yeah, they recently like they brought back an artist that did a lot of stuff for Spelljammer back in the day, and people got excited." And then Wizards was like, "Oh, sorry guys, he's doing art for something else." But I think those settings just. More settings in general that are more interesting. That's a long list. Uh, that are more interesting than uh, the Forgotten Realms. Spelljammer is a big one. Dark and Dark Sun, obviously. Um, I like I like Planescape type. You know, like planes hopping stuff a lot. I I'm kind of a sucker for that sort of thing. I so I think I know it's got like an its own campaign now, but I think an Icewind Dale source book would be super cool just like an entire spine of the world thing 
Which I know it's Icewind Dale. Or I know it's Forgotten Realms, but... I was going to say they've kind of got a lot of that stuff in Icewind Dale. I haven't really read the book yet. The whole front is about, like, surviving in the wilderness and in the frozen environment, too, and stuff like that. So... And plus, it's a lot of emptiness. Like, if, if you look at the map, it's just, like, the ten towns, and then it's just empty ice for most of the map. <laughs> hmm. I also think just some different biomes would be cool, because most of the time when people think about D&D, they think, like, you know, Western European-type environments. I, I was going to say, uh, in addition to, I think, Spelljammer's coming out, that I would like to see, like, a, a desert kind of campaign or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say a desert would be cool or like a tropical setting. They have um what the cool. the one campaign Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah, Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. Yeah, but nobody wants to play Tomb of Annihilation that I know of anyway. I mean, I don't want to shit on something one of you guys might really like, but every everything I know about Tomb of Annihilation just seems rough. They have a lot of stuff in there for surviving in the jungle. Um a couple things about disease, uh plants, <laughs> Because I was just, I've given some thought to like a Conan esque uh, jungle campaign that involves like Yanti. So that would be really cool. See, I I like I like those other styles of play. Like the heroic fantasy is one thing I like a lot about the Goddesses of Theros as a book. Is that it? Kind of kind of gives you stuff for this other type of game that in the in the beginning of I think both the player's handbook and the DMG, one or the other or both, I can't remember. They they kind of go through and they they list like different sort of styles of games. And the traditional one has always been the heroic fantasy, mythic fantasy and horror and all these other types of like like Aaron mentioned a Conan game like Sword and Sandals kind of kind of game. They're all like really rich ground that hasn't been really pursued a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's also I've heard that uh that next year they're in addition to, well, I think actually think Tasha's comes that comes out next month, right? The, I believe it does. Seventeenth. I've heard like I was listening to Dungeon Cast, which if you guys don't listen to that, you should. It's a cool, it's a pretty good dungeon D and D podcast. But they were talk one of them, one of the hosts mentioned that they're releasing some new modules next year, which, and I think he said a couple of them were going to be like new versions of old uh, properties. Yeah, like old campaigns and stuff. And I was wondering if there's any that any old ones that you're familiar with that you would be interested to see make a return. There's a couple that have been adapted for 5e, including one of one of them is a pretty always been a pretty well received one. Keep on the Borderlands. Yeah, uh, that's that's actually part of uh, the inspiration for Dragon Laska. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, there's a uh, Vault of the Drow uh, is among the more well received second ed adventures and unlike say tomb of horrors it hasn't been like you know brought back in certain iterations or even like tomb of annihilation obviously takes some inspiration from tomb of horrors so it's one that i don't i don't know of any like modern iteration on it and i have always heard really really good things about it just real quick which is is Tomb of Annihilation or Tomb of Horrors the one that's got like the big like the it's the famous cover with the green devil face? Horrors is the scenario, Annihilation is the whole campaign. So oh, the horrors is the more classic one that's been around forever. Because that's the one that I've heard like it's just a meat grinder to the point. I've heard it's a meat grinder to the point of not being fun, but I've never played it, so you know I don't know 
how so, true it is. Didn't so they reprint it in the Yawning Portal book? They did. Um, and it's like a fifth edition version. I don't know how much they toned down the like fun house, haha, you're dead now thing. But the thing is, it was designed to be a meat grinder. It was designed specifically for, uh, for one, for convention play. But it was also specifically designed for those players who came up to Gary Gygax and were like, I have this 11th level wizard. He cannot die. They have all these X, Y, and Z magic items. My character is invincible. He's immortal. And that Gary Gygax said, eh, we'll see about that. Hmm. And so the the idea, yeah, was to like kind of knock players down a peg who thought they had an immortal character. It was never meant to be this like, you know, super serious thing. Ah, gotcha. Okay, that's fair. Wasn't, I just go ahead. Nick. Oh, okay. Wasn't most gameplay back in the early days of D anD D mostly just a meat grinder, and whoever came out alive with any speck of gold was triumphant? There was definitely more of an emphasis on the gold because there is a time where you know gold and XP used to be basically one for one. You got a little bit of XP for killing monsters, but I mean, definitely like the dungeon crawl aspect was very prominent. Uh, though I don't. I don't, to my knowledge, know of any particular prevailing theme of like, you know, yeah. cutthroat, like stab the other players in the back kind of thing, unless you kind of wanted to be hated for doing that. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't mean like that kind of thing. I meant like, wasn't it supposed to be like the players would try to survive together and whoever barely made it out alive would be considered victorious? Well, keep in mind, in the old days, you also had minions. Like that you, could, you could just <laughs> <Yeah>. hire help. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, kind of... not to ignore your question, Nick, but or, uh, but um, you know that's something that that I would maybe like to see a book from Wizards going back to that. Uh, and Matt Colville has actually done some a supplement that kind of touches on that. But the whole like followers strongholds, um, you know, leveling up to where like by the time you're eleventh level, you might have like a castle and a a whole like you know the scope of the game pulls back somewhat from. I am this one character to like I'm managing this realm. I think that could be a really cool style of play to see a campaign book come out for. Yeah. Maybe I'll purpose that sort of uh gameplay for something. Who knows? That's the fun. <laughs> anyway, you go know, ahead, Adam. I was, I don't have like a deep knowledge of the older scenarios. I know that my I think my introduction to actually that concept of D and D was a cartoon that came on in the eighties. But I was a big, av- I was an avid reader in school, still am, and I've read a lot of the Dragonlance and Forgotten Realms books. And I think, and it's kind of ironic that Ethan mentioned Drow. Of course, I've always been kind of interested in the Drow in in general because I probably am an edge lord. But I would like to see some uh, see a campaign at some point in time that would, that takes place in the Underdark. Have uh, you? There is one out of the abyss. <laughs> it well, takes in the underdark. <laughs> hey, you know what? Fuck it. I I feel like my prayers have already been answered. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> like it's that whole that whole setting. I I read books like Daughter of the Drow. I can't even remember the author of that, but uh, that may be a Salvatore. I can't remember Perry or somebody like that. But yeah, the, that that whole. Like, there's just a whole different world down there that uh, I haven't, as a player, got to explore that I would like to see kind of take a place. But other than that, I mean, I can't, I don't really have a reference point to what I want to see. I think sub, I would like to see, obviously, more subclasses. I enjoy it. I played, well, I'm still playing it, but in the uh, when I started the 
Curse of Strahd, I signed up. Well, I didn't sign up, but I had the option of using the, uh, what's it called? Unearth Arcana or what? Yeah. Were, yeah. I, that they were play testing those for D and D. So I went ahead and played the rogue of the revived class. And I thought that was really cool. I don't, there's not a, t- Spoiler alert, I don't really have a lot of, there's not a, a huge lot of advantages to playing the revived. I mean, I guess I, I can, sh- I can shoot boats from the grave. So I get a magical projectile and I can talk to dead people and I don't have to breathe or eat, which, or, and now I'm immune to poison. So that was kind of fun in Curse of Strahd when I was uh, breaking into somebody's, uh, I can't remember, it's in a town where there's uh, a crazy old lady whose daughter has been like, has the mind of a cat now. Does that ring a bell, Ethan? But I, I don't want to get too tied up in that, but I got poison. And he's like, well, you're going to take poison damage. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm already well, dead. Well, if you like subclasses, then you should totally check out the Tashas because they have a whole bunch of um, new ones in that. I even have, I've seen two spoilers. One is uh, a wild magic barbarian. Mm-hmm. And another one is a... Uh, patron for warlocks uh the genie and they have a whole bunch of more the way wizards reveal stuff or at least like teases stuff is weird because they just give like different pieces to different streamers instead of like just you know and like hey this is things we're doing but like no this one streamer will get like this much stuff another gets like another it's it's very strange but um yeah no those both sound really cool yeah i can share the picture with you right now I I don't have like a deep knowledge of old D and D scenarios. My brother was just a huge D and D fan, so I kind of picked it up secondhand. Apparently, the the first campaign he ever played in was a Spelljammers game. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, this is actually a question. I've got a question for Nick and Ethan, real quick. Is Temple of Elemental Evil like I know there's the computer game, but was that a setting or not a setting? Uh, a campaign or was it just what? Oh, okay, cool. As far as I recall, if I recall correctly, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was like a 100% update from the previous editions, but it's basically. Well, I just know there was the, the there was the PC game years ago, uh, so I was just I didn't know if it if that was from like a scenario or if it was like Baldur's Gate where it's it's just a story that happened in a game. So anyway, yeah, they. Uh, I think they. I think they did an update of I think they did an update of it in uh Tales from the Yawning Portal. But it was a uh it was either a first or second edition adventure, and from what I've heard it's not great, but it is a it is a uh uh believe first ed. Tales from the Yawning Portal, that's just a book of adventures, right? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and some of them some of them amount to basically just being like, This is a dungeon. So it's like a start the starter set basically? Mm. It's not as cohesive as the starter set. It's like no. basically each chapter is its own individual thing. Mm. They just they just took a bunch of I think well liked scenarios and just updated them for five e for people to use. Ghosts of Saltmarsh seems like a really cool book because it's a, a new setting plus uh it's you can play it as a campaign, right? Loosely connected, you can kind of do it as a campaign. The adventures probably work better as standalone stuff than as a cohesive whole. Gotcha. I know it ends with a Kraken fight, but... Yeah. Um, there's also, you know, like, seafaring stuff, rules for, like, uh, sea travel, some really cool uh, monster stat blocks and stuff. It's a pretty cool book. 
And in fact, it kind of ties in some with Mythic Odysseys of Theros because there's a whole section in those about doing aquatic-based adventures. Look, I'm just going to say it. Wizards should do an island-hopping uh, setting book because that sounds really cool. Yep, make it, it pirate-themed. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. Also, uh, note for people who aren't super familiar with D&D, it can be tempting to look at older editions for like set it for setting books and stuff. There's some some older D and D books that have some dated terms, like uh Oriental Adventures. So just be aware of that sort of thing. From what I understand, that whole book is it's not offensive, but it's just a bunch of stereotypes. <laughs> At least the three point five version. I don't know I don't know a lot about it, but even just using the term Oriental in the title. Yeah. It's a little weird. But I'm looking through Mordekinens right now. I have a that's not so set up. One of my friends and uh, RPX patron Kerry Conyers had me playtest his game. Libby's writing to you know hopefully publish, and uh, they added me to their campaign. And it, God bless these guys. They went ahead and bought every single book of D and D. So Holy like I'm, shit. Still, I'm still listed in their campaign. So he shared all that content to me. I'm like I have everything. Absolutely everything. I, I had to turn around and buy it for us because you know I you know I can't add you to his campaign and all that. But I see Baphomet is here, which is uh, what a you know, weird what a weird way to pronounce that Baphomet. Then how you pronounce, dude? I'm, how do you say it, Texas? <laughs> oh, I've just never heard it pronounced like that. I've always said Baphomet or Baphomet. <laughs> I can't say like Baphomet because no one ever told me like. <laughs> hey, don't hear, man. What do you like? Do you oh. like better uh, Baphomet or Baphomet, Ethan? Which one sounds better? He's weighing his options. E- Ethan? Sorry, I had myself muted. Uh, <laughs> Baphomet is how I've always heard it pronounced. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So three different <laughs> ways. I'm going to stay out of here. <laughs> uh, and Moloch, but it's cool. Um, well, I appreciate you all uh, chatting with me about this. I've you know, kind of given a lot of thought to it over the past year of playing Dungeons and Dragons I, when we even took the RPX Patreon funds went out and uh, got us a subscription for D&D Beyond and uh, picked up a few books so we could share the content so you know hopefully in the future after October which is apparently D&D month now for RPX but you know hopefully in the future we'll, you'll see more coming from us from the, the D&D standpoint so Anybody got some quick shout outs or anything you've kind of media you've been engaging with? Because I do have one that I'd like to kind of briefly talk about with us with here. Uh, I just signed up for the play, uh, the early access, excuse me. I just signed up for the early access release of Baldur's Gate 3, which I've been playing on the PC. And, you know, it's, it's Dungeons and Dragons. And I played the originals back in the day that I think Bioware did those in the late 90s and the early aughts they came out. And now, I can't remember the name of the publisher, but they did Divinity of Sin. Uh, Larian. Larian's picked up the duties here. I think they, they may have even did a Kickstarter, I think. But it's just a really fascinating game. Like So I'm going into it with this mindset of playing Dungeons & Dragons. And, uh, you know, you... You've, it starts out with mind flayers, and you're. I think the central plot of it's revolving around mind flayers, and you've been infected, and you've got to work with a group of players to cure yourself and deal with the threat and all that that's going on. But I really like the fact that I went to. I was playing as a thief because that's my absolute favorite class. I love to play, but aside from cleric of the trickery, 
element, which is a thief again. But like you, uh, it even pulls up a 20-sided die. And you can sit down there like I was examining this little tub or container that can, it had the little parasitic worms in it. And, you know, I wrote a, I did an arcana check and I clicked the, D10, the D20 and it goes ahead and it rows everything. And, you know, it gives me that, well, this is if you, if you touch it, it's going to break kind of deal like that, that it goes through. And there's like a lot of little rows that you do with uh, the game. It's a turn-based RPG, which is something I'm just familiar with from playing RPGs back in the day. And it's kind of unique the way the camera angles work on it and stuff. You pretty much, you can move your character around and you've got control of a separate camera. So I can just hit up on my keyboard and it'll just keep going forward and go into other rooms and stuff. I haven't really checked to see if it will actually reveal like uh, foes that I'm going to end up fighting. But, you know, you can kind of, you got a lot of freedom with the camera and all. But uh, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just going to ask did you find the uh, the intellect of our companion? Oh, yeah. The little the little guy. The little brain gotta, guy, yeah. The little brain guy that you got to pull out of somebody's head. And if you do it right, then he'll follow you around for the first mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was unique. So, yeah, you got the skill checks like you would do on everything else. And, you know, even in character creation, I selected a drow because I was playing my D&D character from Strahd. I kind of rolled him up. And it was really neat that, you know, I can see and I understand all this stuff now as opposed to when I played. Uh, Baldur's Gate back in the day, but you know you get all the pluses and minuses. Like it shows that I had a plus one, I guess, for charm, and then a plus one for stealth, and then daylight it adds the negative one to perception and stuff like that. So I mean, it's it seems like a love letter to D and D fans. I just want to warn you if you sign up for it, it's sixty bucks for an unfinished game. COVID kind of hit Laren pretty hard. So I was playing at one point in time, and there's this nice little feature, like for your bonus action, you can shove. So I ended up like this guy was on, like standing by a pit, and I swung my sword at him, and I didn't kill him, so I just shoved him. And then he fell through the floor, and then he continued to just keep clipping in and out of the scene over and over and over again and stuff like that. And there was another, like, mouths won't move. Player, your your character will freeze in a cutscene, but then you'll walk away. So there's two of you on screen. So it's it's buggy as fuck, but it's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's early access. Yeah, so it's not the full thing yet. It's it's interesting to see, and this is the last thing that I'll I'll add on this. It's interesting to see how they're going. They're po- they're live journaling, so to speak, or blogging at least on the development process as they go. So they actually pulled up the map in their latest update. And they they showed where all the players had died. Like I think over there's been forty thousand deaths as of a couple of days ago on on this map here. And then they they had it color coded by the amount of that de- uh, death in an area and the encounters and stuff like that. And the the developers are you know taking this data and you know making decisions on it. And I just think it's neat to just kind of be a part of something and watch it as it comes along. Uh, kudos for them. For, they've got a wide a variety of faces you can create from from different uh, ethnic backgrounds so it's all not just waspy people that you're oh now they're blue now they're drow and stuff like that it's uh, they're pretty in, i mean it seems like they're making efforts to extend this to everyone you know what i mean yeah yeah they have like all colors of the palette for everything Mm-hmm. I, I I watched a, a guy play a little bit of it today just so because I saw you had it on the list. Um, 
they, they pull heavily from Divinity Sin 2 or whatever the name of the game is that I have. Yeah. Divinity Original Sin 2. A mm-hmm. lot of the, the mechanics and stuff, um, the basic mechanics and the graphics are drawn heavily from that. Yeah. But they do gear it towards at least the stats and the, the action bonus action and spells. They do pull that from Dean. Uh, there, there are little things that are different, but yeah. they're just minor things because they got to adjust it for a video game as opposed to a tabletop game. It's interesting that it's turn-based now as opposed to the, the tactical combat that they used to use. But Well, you're rolling initiative and all that. They've added it into it, and it's really neat. I mean, you've got each character can move so far, so my thief could definitely outpace the uh, warrior that I was paired with in the first scene. And I don't know, it's really neat. If only I could figure out how to make him run again, because I hit a wrong button and I haven't looked at the controls, but now whenever I'm going somewhere, it's like, the ship's going down! we got to get out of here! And I'm just casually strolling around like a badass, and I can't make him run, so... That's fine. Maybe part of the bugs. But yeah, if y'all get a chance to check it out, I, yeah, I recommend it. I hope that the final version of it includes the... I think Divinity of Sin 2 had a uh, GM mode to where you could actually... One person was running the creatures and controlling the encounters and all that, and the other a group of people were playing with them. I know I saw a video of Matt Mercer doing something like that. Nice. Yeah, it had that mode. So hopefully that, that may be something to play with. But that's enough about me. Has anyone else uh, tried anything new or did anything? Uh, I have gotten back around to uh, playing the Doom 2016 reboot. Uh, it's very fun. It's very fast-paced. Uh, and it's a uh, kind of something about it I would like to try and replicate in a game. Uh, maybe almost yeah. as like a challenge of how do I replicate this sort of like frenetic, fast-paced, balls-to-the-wall um, style of style of game. Uh, I'd be curious how I might pull that off. Mm, that sounds cool. Yeah. I've got some stuff, but did you have anything else, Ethan, or was was it just Doom? I didn't want to step on uh, your toes. Just Doom. Uh, oh. That about covers it. Uh, I have a couple. Actually, I recently beat Crash Bandicoot 4, which is one mm-hmm. of the most difficult games I've ever played. I've beaten it backwards and forwards, because when you beat it, it unlocks the uh, inverted versions of all the levels. So I've technically beaten it twice. It was very hard. And I recently picked up a book for an RPG that I'm very interested in, but I don't know if it'll actually work for the podcast, called uh, Aquilare, which is... Chaosium, isn't it? Yeah, it's put. It's published by Chaosium in English, but it's dark fantasy in the on the Iberian Peninsula in the fifth century. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, but it's it's historically accurate to the point of potentially being problematic. Which, by the way, Adam is a thing that we could do a uh, uh, a talkie on at some point. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, I recently got the Friday the Thirteenth full box set which I'm very excited about. I haven't started reading it yet, or watching them yet, but I'm very excited for it. And also, I'd like to plug a podcast called The Dollop that I've gotten really into. That It's a historical podcast, but it's also just really funny. It's two dudes, just... It's one of them who doesn't really know anything about history, and the other who's super into history, just... And he's basically reading his friend's stories and recording his reactions, and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. I would highly recommend it. I think that's about it. Nick, how about yourself? I haven't really been doing 
like had any big purchases or anything recently or trying too much new i've mostly been replaying old video games that i've just had stock up fallout new vegas good choice yeah i've also found a little uh game on steam called baba is you which is I've heard a, of that. Uh, it's it's really fun and it's also really challenging it's a puzzle game where you have to so there's there's ba- it's basically a logic puzzle plus other puzzle stuff uh where there's certain baba is you so the the white bunny cat thing is you or it could say like the rock is you or whatever as well as there's other rules like this is stop you can't move it you need to and and other definitions of the objects on the screen and you have to move the words around to change the rules in order to manipulate the map to reach the the end point that you need to win at and it, they just add more and more rules and stuff like that and it gets more harder and it's just been real challenging and fun. Hmm. Sounds cool. I think the only other thing I got to mention is uh, I kind of, well, Audible had this thing where if I, I signed up for a year of their service, I get access to Audible Plus, which I've been enjoying that. Uh, it's a really nice little service that Audible offers. It's kind of like Prime, I guess you could say, where you can listen to books for free that don't take your credits. So I started listening to the James Lovegrove, Sherlock Holmes, Cthulhu mashup, and I enjoyed it uh, immensely i've at least finished the first book but i'm kind of taking a break from that because i can't get say with the same type of genre of just non-stop so uh at the recommendation of one of the players i'm playing with in the curse of strahd aaron another aaron the world's filled with aaron's uh <laughs> I'm, i've been reading the joe abercrombie book uh, the blade itself which is kind of a gritty uh fantasy or grim dark kind of world and it follows uh I'm really, I have, there's several characters, but it follows Logan Ninefingers, which is a, we'll see, his description was, and I actually pulled it up, uh, an aged North man with a black name and even blacker past who strives to turn from the path of violence. But it just, I haven't got too far in it right now, but I've just, I don't know, I'm looking for more inspiration. We're getting ready to start Band of Blades and it's kind of grim dark, and I've already read uh, The Bad Company at least the, the original series of that. I'm just kind of trying to see if I can find any more Grimdark to add into a Grimdark game. And so far, it seems pretty good. Nice. Adam. So actually, mm-hmm. that podcast I mentioned, The Dollop, I listened to an episode yesterday morning that has uh, inspired me to create a Delta Green scenario that's basically heat. Oh, yeah. Uh, you sent me that link the other day. It was The Norco shootout? Yeah. 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 That's like it's gonna it's gonna be very little plot. Just ah, uh, some bank robbers stole something from a safe deposit box that belonged to a cult or something, and it's literally it's just gonna be car chases and shootouts. Because that sounds so pulpy. I want to play it. That story that story itself is insane. Oh yeah, I was reading about that. That was the one like the the, the robbers outgunned the policeman, and after that incident, like. I can't remember, yeah. was it Los Angeles County Police were issuing out, you know, M16s and uh, yeah, Mini cops 14s. have tanks now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently at one point they shot at a helicopter and it went through the floor of the helicopter and hit the, the like, the console inside, I guess. Mm-hmm. Didn't hit the people, but it hit that and set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah they were it was just cops with like revolvers trying to fight people with automatic weapons 
who at one point started shooting at a group of 12-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I think one of them got shot in the finger. Yeah, that's all they hit was the finger somehow. I, hey, I, maybe that's for Logan Nine Fingers. Came. Never mind, that's dark. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. If, if I'm th- if I'm thinking of this uh, is the one that you guys are talking about, didn't they also have, like, in addition to fully automatic weapons, have, like, full body armor as well? I think so. Pipe bombs. Sorry, is that what you were going to say, Nick? No, no, full body armor. Like, they had full body armor, too, so, like, the, the cops couldn't really do anything to them. No, that's that's actually a different shootout in L.A. I know what, I know what you're talking about. Uh, there was an episode about that, too. But no, that's a different one. Uh, these dudes, they had a bunch of automatic weapons and homemade pipe bombs and a katana. <laughs> I don't know what the katana was for. <laughs> it matched the fedora. Come on. They literally, like, these dudes, mo- they they had shotguns they had modified that they could put, like, wooden stakes with the pipe bombs attached to so they could just, like, fire stakes with bombs on them. Good lord. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine, like, you're in a car chase and some dude throws an MGD can full of explosives and nails at you. Oh, god. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I look forward to seeing what you can turn that into. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think that's everything I got. So, hey guys, thanks again for dropping by for this. I've had a lot of fun discussing it, and well, I feel like I understand D and D a little bit more, and I understand that I don't know jack shit about the past, really, since I'm asking for scenarios that already exist. But hey, I'm happy all the same. But uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate you dropping by. For those of you tuning in, uh, you can find us at www.roleplayingexchange.com. We also have a Facebook page. We're at facebook.com slash Exchange, And uh, we're also on Twitter at R-P-E-X-C-H-A-N-G-E. Other than that, if you like what you're listening to, like to help us buy that new book of characters so I can have a magical um, barbarian, which sounds really awesome. You can subscribe to our Patreon. Every dollar that goes towards it goes towards just maintaining the podcast, keeping the hosting bills at bay and buying equipment and games and other little fun things that we uh, take advantage of here. And that is, uh, let's see, I should have had that pulled up, uh, but it's patreon.com slash exchange. I think. Let me look this up with the ma- magic of editing. I can do it. Please Sorry. donate so I don't have to take pictures of the book and send it to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're at patreon.com. Uh, slash role playing exchange. So yeah, jump in, you get early access, and you can also receive our special Patreon episode, our little show called Beyond the Wall Patreon, where I hoodwink some one of my friends or two or three of them to sit down and just bullshit with us about media, books, whatever, life in general. I think the last episode I sat with uh, Chris Cirillo from the Al Dente Rigor Mortis podcast, and we talked about how Canada's news is much brighter than America's news as we read off things to one another. But yeah, so if you, again, if you enjoy what you listen to, want to support us, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, you'll help finance a game of Ladderham at the next uh, Gen Con. Which is going to be like King of the Ring, but we're going to just fight over a ham. At the top of a 16-foot ladder. (laughs) How bad you want that ham, Nick? I'm good. I'll let you guys tire yourselves out. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to win. I just want Ethan to lose. Dude. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, once again, thanks for tuning in with us. And until next time, we'll see you all later. Keep it tight. Bye. Bye.